The sermon that you are about to view is not a replacement of your participation and commitment to a local church, but we do hope it blesses you. Welcome here, everyone. You would take your place, your seat, and turn to the Song of Solomon, page uh, 668. A while ago, Diane was away on a mission trip, and I actually ran out of granola. It was a terrible experience. I almost phoned 911, because in my house, we always have a good, great homemade granola. The problem was the recipe, after I found it, it took about half an hour, of course, to where to find it. And then all the ingredients, put that all together. And it didn't really give you this step-by-step stuff and what to do. Like, I found that when you um, put raisins in the oven for like half an hour, they come out like bullets. You have to throw all that away. And then I figured, listen, it says 175 degrees for 30 minutes. Well, that would mean about 450 for 10 minutes, right? It doesn't work that way, I found. So you have to throw that out too. You see, it just doesn't give the ingredients and, and, the, and it's not real specific. That's why I love the Bible. The Bible's specific to tell us who God is, who we are, how to live our lives, and to give us specific direction, even in areas that are very personal, like sexuality. We're in an Old Testament series, and we have come to the Song of Solomon. I tried to give it away to other staff members. They just laughed and pointed at me. So I'm doing this, and I'm glad to, actually. Parents with children, I'm going to be as guarded as I can be. You don't need to run for your life. And I'm not doing a PG-13 or anything like that. I think you'll be fine. But you do need to realize I'm going through some material by uh, commentators called Baxter and Pope and uh, John Ortberg. And I'm reworking some stuff for us today as it relates to what does this book have to say to us. Let's do an introduction real quick. Song of Songs. Solomon wrote this. Some people say with all that Solomon did wrong... Actually, what, one of the things he did wrong is he married 700 wives. And as one kid in my, in my class a, year, a couple, number of years ago said, 700 wives and 300 porcupines. <laughs> yeah. Best of the Song of Psalms, it, it was, why would he be writing about this? Because he blew it and he knew he, how to do it differently. And he knew he had to do it differently. This is not an allegory about the church. And God's love for the church. It's, an, it's, it's a story, and there's lots of kissing and sexuality and talk about all kinds of things. It's not an allegory of the church. This is, as one author said this week, I found, this is biblical sexuality as, as its best. I didn't know this for, I've known it for a number of years, but it is R-rated for the Jewish culture for children. Not allowed for children to read this till they're 13 or 14. The book is like a love letter with imagery and allegory and word pictures. And so you can't tear that apart and expect it to have life. But I do want to point certain things and and call out a couple of specific cultural differences that in the teaching or the culture, if you didn't understand that, you wouldn't get it. To um, meeting the characters, if you've got an outline from me uh, that was at the back, you'll understand there's three characters. The woman who who is called Beloved. And this woman is deeply in love and longs for her husband. And she is bold in her expressions of praise for the man's character. And she freely expresses her longing for intimacy with him. The man is called the Lover. This man is a common shepherd, but to this woman, he's the king, which makes her the queen. 
And she cel- he celebrates and is boldly declares his love and quick to praise her, his beloved as with her beauty. The friends of, of the, both the woman and the man, they speak in concert. And every once in a while, if you walk through, it isn't in the original, but you'll see the headlines. And the headlines is, now the man is speaking, or the lover. Now the friends is speaking of the woman. Now the woman is speaking, called beloved. And you'll just see, and it unpacks that way. But it's Hebrew, it's poetry, it's a little wacky. And we're going to talk about it today. Some of the scenes, there's three scenes. And you've got them uh, made out uh, in, in your, in your uh, outlines there. Number one is the courtship and the engagement. There's a whole thing there, chapter 1 to chapter 3, verse 5. And then there's the, the, the wedding and the honeymoon itself. And then there's the relationship after the wedding. How do you do your romance and keep romance cooking 10 years after you're married? We're going to talk about that in those three scenes. How to hear the message? I believe there's something in this text, this book, for all that are here. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. It doesn't matter what your situation is. God has something to say to us if we ask. For those who are married but find themselves callous to their spouse, there's things in this text that you need to listen to, to re-inspire and actually reform your marriage. Some here are, are single, and you can say, well, what is, he, what is he saying to me? Singles often are the best people to reach into people's lives in their marriages that aren't doing well and helping them. And you may be asking God, Who can I, whose marriage can I help? How do I live a life of godliness while I'm not married? So there's, some of you have lost a spouse. Some of you, your spouse has died. And this is grief producing. But I'm praying, and I've been praying this week, that it would also be a place of comfort and thankful remembering for you. Some have walked through or are walking through a painful divorce. And you need God to speak hope into your life that there would be someone for you again. All of that and many, many more. I believe God wants to speak to us about this. And I want to unpack this for you. So page 668, if you are able, please stand. We're going to read God's word, Solomon chapter 1. And we're going to read a couple of verses. Starting in verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like the perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Lord, as we continue to read this, we need to hear from you. And I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear you and that marriages would be changed and revitalized. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, what a start, huh? This is one of my favorite Bible verses. I have encouraged Diane to memorize it and quote it to me many times. She doesn't. No. Who's talking on this, on this, uh, in this uh, text? Anyone? Nope. The bride. The woman. The woman is talking. Who is the one who is standing and being forward in her sexuality and romanticism? Who, is, who is, has the same level and desire of passion as the husband or the man does? This woman. And God is so pleased with that that he puts it in the Bible. People come and say, well, I don't want to be reading that stuff. I think we need to be reading this stuff and having a whole new understanding and learning about sexuality here, not from other places, I'll just put it that way. 
This book is unlike any other book, and it starts with kissing. It soon progresses to all kinds of things, but it is the celebration of sexuality and romance and passion between a man and a woman. Most other Bible uh, te- texts in the Scripture have warnings about and cautions about sexuality, guidelines, what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. None here. There's no time for that. Here is unbridled celebration of covenantal relationship between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman. And the Bible is clear on other things. Premarital sex, that's dealt with elsewhere. Adultery and extramarital sex, done elsewhere. Here, we pour it on in the whole area of romance. And that, for some, is scary. Well, I want you to get over your fear. Repent, actually. And enjoy what God has developed for all of us. Chapter 1, verse 3. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. What's so fascinating about his name? Well, the name in the Old Testament is about your character. His character is absolutely fascinating because it sets him aside from all other men that she knows of. Now, there's a word of caution that everyone needs here. You need to be careful who you give your heart to. Young ladies... Give your heart to a man that deserves it. Don't give your heart to a Yahoo that won't be faithful to you and you don't know. Watch who you give your heart to. Go slow. We had someone who, after, the, after meeting their spouse in the, in the welcome time of our church, within six months of meeting each other, they were married. They asked me to, to marry them. I said, I can't marry you. You need the winter and summer together. I started asking questions. How does she respond when she gets a ticket? He had no idea. Well, how is she going to respond to you when things go right? Had no idea. And then they say this. It's a word for it. I think it's called stupid. Where you just say, oh, he, it's me, and, and I'm, he's just so kind, and it'll be different for us. <sighs> it takes time. Anyhow, go slow. We just have to go slow. Ladies, if you want to know how that man will treat you, you need to ask the question and watch how do they treat their mom. They disregard her and call her names and don't listen to her? Or do they respect their mother? Men, watch how she treats and talks about her father. That's how she's going to treat you. Like it or not, that's how she'll treat you. Now, I know some of you have had bad fathers. God can turn that around. I watch it every day in my, in my wife. Okay, he can turn that around. But there's no, there's no sweat that we got to get married next Wednesday. Just stop that kind of thing. In Song of Songs, I hear a woman speaking uh, and a man speaking to each other and realize it seems a little strange to us. So I'm going to unpack a couple of these things, these things. Chapter 1, verse 7 says, Tell me whom I love, uh, where you graze your flock, And where you rest your sheep at midday, why should I be a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? What's going on here is the groom, she's giving information, and we are hearing information who the groom is. He's a common shepherd. He may or may not be wealthy, we don't know. But to this woman, he's the king. And to the man, she's the queen. It's as simple as that. Does it make sense? No, and it doesn't have to. Next, the man speaks in chapter 1. He says, I liken you, darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. I don't know how to say this, but that just won't work in this part of the country. 
Uh, you know, horse face, um, that just doesn't work. What's going on here, though, is something very powerful. And I had someone that gave me more information even today about this. You see, this mare, which is a girl horsey, by the way, if you're not inclined and understand the agricultural thing, is being hooked up with the stallions of the, of the pharaoh. Now, if you know what mares and stallions have to do with each other, he is basically saying, you are so amazing, you're driving me sexually crazy. And it's used as something that God uses. He pulls people together, or there's sometimes no chemistry. He's declaring here, I have a lot of chemistry with you. That's what he's saying. First time I read it, I thought, horse face doesn't work in Canada. That's not what's being said at all. Now, what's happening here? I read another, uh, another uh, uh, commentary on this. He's, he talked about the delight factor. The delight factor is the conversation that men and women have with each other that love each other and want to build each other up. It's longing to build each other up and to celebrate who they are. So in chapter 2, verse 1, the woman speaking, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley. Now, some people would say, whoa, 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 she's bragging. She's not bragging at all. A lily of the valley is like a crocus, or even less, it's like a dandelion. She's basically saying, hey, I'm pretty ordinary. He comes along later and says, ho, 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 no, you're not. That's what husbands do. That's what we're supposed to do. She says, oh, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of average. I'm not that attractive. And she's basically saying, I am open to what you think about me. What do you think about me? In verse 2, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. What's he saying? It's like having thorns in my eyes when I see other women because you're so amazing. That's what it means. Okay. Thorny eyes. I don't know how that comes together, but what's going on here? Another author talked about this. They are developing a culture of two. Nine times in this Bible, in this book, nine times in the book, the man uses the name darling. And he is developing a culture of two where only you know what certain words mean and what certain foods are about, what certain uh, uh, music on the radio is about. You are creating a culture of two. And the culture of two is God's will for us as married couples. You might have uh, nicknames that you give each other. Actually, you might have a tender language that you have with each other. And some call it baby talk. C.S. Lewis wrote about this in his book called The Four Loves, where he says that there's a certain scientist that discovered within a species of birds a kind of baby talk with each other. And in doing that, you're building the relationship and deepening the relationship of the two. Now, I have to say, a push pause for a second. I've heard people talk like this to their puppies. Who come see mommy? <laughs> Don't do that. But anyhow, that's a personal peeve. Uh, just, um, maybe C.S. Lewis wrote about that too. I don't know. Do you speak words of honor? Or do you speak words of disrespect to your spouse? Some people say, well, I have to correct her. No, you don't. We leave that to the Holy Spirit. Oh, I have to correct him. You don't have to correct him. And you don't have to keep underlining his or her weaknesses in life. You will find they already know how weak they are. They don't need someone to tell them they're stupid and weak. They need someone to bolster their confidence. 
and to tell them that they are special and they are loved. Young gals, that's the kind of guy you want to look for. And they'll have the character to give praise and to receive praise alike. They celebrate each other in turn. And also they belong together. Chapter 2, verse 16 It says this, my lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day uh, day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my lover, and be a gazelle like a young stag on the rugged hills. In other words, what they're saying, this woman is saying, I don't belong to him in that terrible, disrespective way. It's a very healthy and non-jealous way saying that I belong to him and he belongs to me or I belong to her and she belongs to me. There's a a glorious commitment to friendship going on here. Again, it's that we belong together is because there's the two of us, and you're building this. There's another statement that I think is, is being said here, and that statement is, I'm not going anywhere. That statement needs to be heard by both spouses. Oh, we got a problem, and if we don't fix it, I guess we'll have to go for a divorce. I ain't going anywhere. You need to quote that to your spouse. There's a confidence in that that you can go into deeper relationship with each other and risk with each other when you know that they're not running away from anything or anyone. That's scene one. Scene two. It's the wedding and the honeymoon. Now, it's, uh, it's, it's not likely Solomon himself, but the code word or name for the groom is Solomon because she thinks he's the king. And the best king they've ever had is either David or Solomon. You can debate about that. And, and so in her eyes, he's the king. So how do we see people? Back to that same thing again. We often see people and point out people's faults rather than their strengths. Well, in this text, chapter 4, starting in verse 1, she doesn't look at his faults. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful. Oh, this is, sorry, it's from him about her. Your eyes behind the veil are like doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. I'll have to explain that later because it's just goofy. If I said that, I'd get punched. Okay, descending from the Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep, just shorn, coming up from the washing. She brushes her teeth. Well, that's good. And back then, many of them didn't. Each one has its twin. In other words, there's not a bunch of teeth that are one here and one over there and the rest are all gone. That's not it. She She has good teeth. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like halves of a pomegranate. Somehow, her head is lovely. I don't know what that means, but there you are. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with elegance. Now, there was a real Tower of David. And when the warriors were done coming, or being at war, they would hang their shields on the Tower of David. And it was, it was a sense of power and elegance. And that's what he's saying, verse 4, your neck is like the Tower of David, built with elegance. On it hang the thousand shields, all of them shields of the warriors. In other words, she's saying, the guy's saying, number one, I just like your neck. Number two, there's an elegance about you. Hold your head high, woman, because of who you are. Then it goes into your breasts are like two fawns, the twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Let's unpack some of this stuff. Have you ever seen a dove, when they do that dove thing, they walk across, you know, they do their head go, I don't know how to do that. But all of a sudden, I wrote it down. There's a color that comes up that's translucent. You seen that? It goes from gray to silver to blue and back to gray. Beautiful. You know what he's saying? 
I, I am so overwhelmed, I don't even know what color your eyes are because they're so beautiful. Doesn't that sound a little better than, you got good lookers? <laughs> He's trying to be poetic with her. He said, your eyes are amazing. By the way, if you don't know the color of your wife's eyes, if you don't know the color of your husband's eyes, you need to spend more time together. <laughs> In close proximity. Forget about the virus. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Okay, I'll give it my best. But I think all this is, is she has natural curvy hair. There's curls in her hair. Some of you take the curls out of your hair when you come to church. Others put it in. Well, hers are natural. And she just says, he's basically saying to her, you got nice fur. Okay, good. <laughs> your temples are like halves of a pomegranate. Symmetrical. Whatever that means. I like your head. Okay, your neck is like the Tower of David. Here's where I think it's elegant. Okay. Here's, I, he's, he's, he's reaching a little bit. And he's saying, I just, I just love how God made you. Now, maybe she thought she didn't have a good neck and thought her head was weird. All those things that some think are different and weird and maybe um, not good enough, both husbands and wives can make a big deal about that in the opposite direction because we love each other. Uh, the, um, the teeth thing is basically saying, I love your smile. And you know that. There's something that just warms your guts when your wife looks at you or your husband looks at you and, and just smiles and walks away. Diane often says, What? just to be able to be around her. It's great. This complimentary thing goes both ways. Chapter 5, starting in verse 10. My lover is radiant and ruddy. Now, ruddy means uh, red-haired. Saw a couple of red-haired guys walk in. Uh, red hair is the same color as King David. Maybe he said he was ruddy. means he had red hair with white skin. We've taken red-haired guys before to Israel, and some of them, women, come up and kind of touch them. Just like, ooh, ready. <laughs> King David. <laughs> I don't get it. <clears throat> his head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like the bed of spices, a yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rod of, rods of gold set in crystallite. His body is polished ivory decorated in sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set in bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice of all cedars. My mouth is, his mouth is sweetness itself. He's altogether lovely. He, this is my lover, my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. I asked Diane once. So what do you think? She gave me a picture. There we go. <laughs> Maybe not. Let's, let's quickly take that off the screen. That's good. I'm offended that you laugh that much. But anyhow, let's, let's go on. The groom continues. In chapter 4, verse 6 to 15, is his vows. When was the last time you redid your vows? You need to redo your vows. Not every day. But maybe at 25 years, maybe 35, maybe 50, maybe 10. Your vows change, you know, because life changes. What I really wanted to do 
is have this message preached as close to February 14 as I could. And then I would end this service, because I did this before here about 15 years ago. I said, those of you that want to renew your, renew your vows, go to the lobby right now. About 10 couples went out to the lobby. And I think we gave them these little, what do you call it, tiara? Little crown that women wear. And I think we gave them both flowers. And uh, I don't know, I think we put coats on him, tuck, tuxedo, and we brought them, they redid their vows. We had vows that they could walk, walk through again. They weren't really personalized. It needs to be personalized. Diane and I redid our vows. Amazing. I think we went to um, Phoenix. We were with our friends. It was either that or um, Palm Springs. And we were about 25 or 30 years in. And we, we wanted to do something special. So I bought her a, a different diamond um, ring. The first one, uh, there's a diamond in there somewhere, but it's so stinking small you can hardly see it. Because, hey, I was a student and all the rest. So I wanted to give her a new diamond and, and, and renew our vows. We did that over supper, at this great supper that we had. And they were our friends that were cheering us on. And they were witnessing what we were doing. It was a very moving thing for us. Well, I'll speak for myself, for me. And we need to say things when you do your vows. If I could do it all over again, I'd choose you. I don't want it somebody else. You. There's something in your soul that feeds on that and builds the, the, the two-ness, the one and two together, like nothing else. It's for you. No, it isn't for you. Chapter 5, verse 1. I've come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh with my myrrhyme and with my spice. I have eaten the honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk the wine and my milk. And then the friends. Eat, O friends, and drink. Drink your fill, O lovers. This is their honeymoon. Enough said. But there's cheering going on and intimacy going on. And the friends are celebrating this personally and emotional sexual unity that's going on. They're, they're supporting them. Those of you that are single now, some are single by choice, some are single by circumstance. You might be placed in the best position to help certain other people. I had a friend of mine whose wife died a while back, and he said to me, it angers me when you see people who are married coming to church grumpy with each other. He said, there's not many, many of us will, there's lots of, of us are going to die in the next little while. And they don't have the opportunity of being with each other. And yet they're grumpy in church. And he leaned in on a couple of marriages and has greatly helped them. Singles, you, you can help people and speak into their life on some of the things that you've learned, good and bad. Don't just say, as some people do, well, that's not my problem. It is your problem. We're brothers and sisters. This is a family. It's important. I could go on and on on that. I won't. 
Uh, scene three, romance and ongoing relationship. This is where real life sets in. Too many couples focus on the marriage day and the honeymoon. When it's all over, they got nothing else except debt. And that's just wrong. We need to prepare for the next 50 years of married life together. <laughs> Chapter five, verse two. It says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my love, my, he pours it on there, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew. My hair is damp of the night. I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? Is her response. Now, we don't know how much time has, has elapsed here, but this is on into the marriage now by about, what, 10 years or whatever? He's been out working all night. He comes home. He has one thing on his mind. She's saying, I've already prepared myself for bed. I'm already in bed. I've already washed my feet. You see, they had dirt floors, so it's all dirty. I don't want to get up. And she, so he leaves. Then it says, I think I lost my head for a moment there. Of course I want my husband around. And when she opens the door, he's gone. So she goes to other people asking them, can you please help me find my husband? <laughs> Folks, get ready to deal with issues and aches and things that don't go right if you're going to get married. Even the best of marriages, the strongest of marriages, the most passionate of marriages, all of us go through tough times. The issue is not if you will go through difficult times. The issue is when you go through difficult times, what will you do? And she looked and could not find him for a long, long time. The friends helped them. Find each other. In chapter 5, verse 8, it says, O daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my lover, tell him, uh, uh, what, what will you tell him? Tell him that I am faint with love. I made a mistake. Come on back. Let me give you one sentence and we'll go on. The power of sexuality to bind a couple together is absolutely beyond explaining. And that same power, when sexuality is denied, can drive a couple apart. It all depends how you share your life and share yourselves with each other. Those that are leading music, you want to take your places? That would, I call you up now, please. I thank you. So where are we at today? Well, speaking to the teenagers, prepare to get married. Wait, be patient, be wise. Find the one that has the great eyes that you like looking into. But be careful. Singles, live right. Don't give your heart to someone you shouldn't. Be careful how you can lean in on other friendships in their marriage and say things that nobody else will say, but you can say because you love them. Some people here with ho-hum marriages today, get some help. A counselor, a friend to speak into your lives, whatever you'd like, but get some help. People that haven't done things right, repent. Say you're sorry. Um, I was with some friends of mine this half of this week in, in Palm Springs who had a, a senior pastor's gathering that I'm a part of. 
And we've noticed, it started uh, 14 years ago when we noticed that senior pastors were dying like flies. And we said, we need to get together and develop a group that will answer questions with, of each other and ask tough questions. Where are you at in your, in your pride factor of your church? Uh, are you watching porn? Are you loving your spouse and your kids? What is God saying to you these days that you're saying yes to or no to? Who else, where do I get those kinds of questions asked of me and many of the other senior pastors? So we created this place. One of the guys said some things that I think I will remember forever. He said, we've changed how we do our nightly thing as a married, as, in, in, as a married couple. We always read a passage of scripture, sometimes a chapter, some less. And we always pray for each other. And he started explaining this. And he said, when I hear her talk to him about me, something happens in me. When I hear her telling God what's wounding her or what she's afraid of or what she wants changed in her life, I, I want to bolster what I do and how I, how I can help her. Because he said, many of us in our marriages hide from our spouse. How you doing? I'm okay. What's that mean? But he said, it has brought a, a, a deepness into our marriage relationship. That he said, I can't really tell you how and why, but I know there's something about when we pray together and we read God's word together. Those of you that are married and aren't doing real well right now, start there for two weeks. Start there every night. Pray together. Read the scripture together. And say, Lord, what would you, how, how would you have me marry or, or speak into our marriage? And how do you want me to pray for this woman? And God will speak to you. Those that have been wounded or divorced, there is... And God can give you that. But be very, very careful. Be very, very careful. There's a couple of other areas. I think we're just going to pray and be done. But I hope you've learned a little bit of what God thinks of good marriages and how God keeps them and puts them together. Amen? Lord, keep teaching us what you have for us. Thank you for the opportunity, the freedom that we have to gather together, open your word, and apply it to our lives. Holy Spirit, do that now. Speak to my brothers and sisters before me, our family, that we would be great husbands and great wives, that we would be great examples to our kids and our grandkids, that you are wise in how you've put this whole deal together of sexuality. We worship you for that. We say thank you. And then we ask for your help that we would be wise in choosing, in relating to each other, and experiencing great grace. And so I pray your protection and blessing over your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.